everybody, my name is Andy Weinberg, and that recording of Disco Inferno is from David Wasikinen's In the Pocket, <laughs> which is also the name of this brand new podcast you're listening to right now on Wildfire Radio, starring the man sitting to my right. <laughs> you know him from the Hooters. Hey, hey. You know him from Smash Palace. Hey, hey. If you grew up in Bucks County, you might know him from his days raising hey. hell in Levittown. <laughs> Steal sodas from the Atlantic Station. <laughs> Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who's been bringing the beat to Philadelphia for a long, long time, <laughs> Mr. David Wasikinen. Hey, hey, Andy. Dave. I'm as pumped up as you are, man. I'm feeling it. It's great. What a day. Uh, it's a great morning. I know by the time a lot of people listen to this, the Eagles game will be over, but it's the morning of the Eagles opener against the Falcons. Yeah. Uh, defending. It doesn't seem like the Super Bowl was like three weeks ago. It, it doesn't seem like it it's been does. that long ago. I, on the way over here, I heard it said it's like 220 some days since they won the, 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 the Super Bowl. And, it, you know, it just seemed to go by. But I'll tell you, I'm still getting used to it. And I love it saying you the champions you know this morning i posted something like i was walking into the wawa and there was a woman that would probably in her mid-60s she pulled in next to me and she was wearing she had the wench jersey on she had the cap on and i get out of my car and she gets out at the same time and i go go birds and she goes, go birds and i said man you're going to the game because i'm assuming because she's all dressed up she goes no i'm gonna be in my living room watching the game and i said i'm yeah, going there's I'm a going. lot of people dressing dressing yeah. like dressing up with for the birds today yeah. of course you're gonna be there right you have season tickets don't you no i don't have season tickets but i go with my buddy joe robbins we go to the game and uh we go you know we pick the game we want to go to and you know various games during the season but of course with the banner and you know the first super bowl we're going tonight man we got great seats it's gonna be awesome what what do you think you think they have a chance to repeat repeating is tough you know i mean but if there's a team that's poised to do it i think they are you know i think they you know there's a lot of things that are really good uh, uh, going for the Eagles because Wentz, you know, he was playing so great last year and he got injured and it looks like he's recovered, doing really well and they've taken their time. I'm glad he's not starting today, but he's got something to prove, you know. I mean, he watched Nick Foles win that Super Bowl and you can only imagine how he's driven. I mean, that guy was driven before. Now he's like out of his mind. So I think that the team, you know, like they kept a lot of great pieces in place. They got the core there. They added some some players. Um, I I think that you know they're going to do really well. Hey, you know there, a lot of things went right for them last year. Now we got to look and hope that those things go right again this year. And the NFL, man, you know, it, it not for long. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we'll see. But I think that they got a, a, a hell of a chance. Um, you know, the Patriots are always going to be there to play. They're playing the Falcons this week, who are an amazing team. You know, you don't think Julio Jones wants to get even, man. He <laughs> wants this anew. And, of course, Matty Ice, who's a great quarterback. So, hey, we're going to have um, – it's going to be a fun – I can't wait for tonight, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I woke up today – uh, I w- I've been very excited about doing this with you because I, I think you're the best. I, I you know getting to know you and know what you did and with with uh, writing and for, for the Phillies and and in Bucks County and the music and you know your history, uh, uh, the opportunity to to do a podcast with you about uh, you know the Delaware Valley music scene in Philly and uh, the Hooters and all that. Um, it, what a, a great. Uh, opportunity you know and i'm like wow let's let's do it and this morning so it was like this and the eagles and you know in the pocket has some cool stuff coming up and i'm about to record a new tune real soon so a lot of good things going on you know i'm healthy um and uh, i certainly don't take that for granted you know and i'm pumped up about 
everything. Marcus, everything. Man. <laughs> yeah, Marcus, our engineer in yeah. the booth next door. Got shout out to Marcus, who's been yeah. a huge help with getting this off the ground. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Carson Wentz being driven and kind of crazy in his determination. I could use those terms to describe you, my friend, <laughs> because you're constantly got something going yeah, on. Yeah. And for the last eight years, and, and a lot of our listeners know, but some of them might not, you've been the leader of In the Pocket, yeah. which is this ensemble of great Philadelphia musicians performing these great Philadelphia songs. I think you're up to, what, 18 songs you've recorded now? I th- I think 19. 19. I okay. think the next one, I like, I, I have a letting a cat out of the bag here, you know, because you, you, you don't want to do too much because it might not happen for whatever reason. But I think this is going to happen. You know, I, I've been wanting to do, I'm a big fan of the Soul Survivors. I mean, they're one of the greatest bands out of Philadelphia, out of anywhere. And Charlie and Richie Ingwe are, are legends. Um, you know, I think, that, you know, a lot of people credit Daryl Hall and, 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 and Daryl Hall and John Oates for being, you know, the originators of Blue Eye Soul. And, you know, Richie and Charlie, they're the, they are the cats, man. Those two guys, oh my God, you know, and uh, the Soul Survivors with Expressway was a song that, you know, I've been hearing feels like my entire life. Um, you want to sing? You want to sing a line? Dum, 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 dum. That's my singing. Great song. And it did, so what happened was, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm a friend of uh, uh, Patty Smythe, who's an artist that I truly, I think she's the greatest singer in the world. I think she is amazing. And an opportunity to work with her with the Hooters um, when we did um, Nervous Night, 1985. And before that, I was a huge fan. You know, I'd get around her. It was like, oh, she's not only a great singer, she's a beautiful woman. She's great. She's got this incredible attitude. Her vibe is incredible. And um, and she actually, when she was a teenager, I believe a teenager, she actually sang with, with the Soul Survivor. She sang with Richie and Charlie. She's got a lot of history with them. So when, of course, you know, I if people don't know about uh, In the Pocket, but I... I record a song that has um, come out of Philadelphia in some way, and uh, uh, and I make a video and, and put it up for you know at iTunes and Amazon where people can buy it, and they can go to the website songsinthepocket.org and watch us talk about the song, meet the guys that are recording it. It's always the guys. It, these players are musicians that I never really had a chance to play with, and. Um, and we record the track, and uh, Patty Smythe uh, um, is going to sing the Expressway, which is really cool because she is. Got oh, that's a lot, fantastic! She's yeah. got a lot of soul. Well, she did. Uh, she did. Uh, Woman's got the power for you, right? Yeah, which is a great song. But you know, it's funny on that one. She didn't. You know, in fairness to her, she said, I don't get it. Which is funny. Woman's got the power because if there's a woman that has power, it's Patty. Of course. I mean, her, she's she's married to one of the strongest men in the world, John McEnroe. And, uh, and she is, you know, she goes, you know, she's married to him. I'm being a married man, I understand. Sometimes you don't always, like, see eye to eye. And, you know, he, he, my, my partner... My wife, Dallin Pavey, uh, is uh, who helped me start In the Pocket. I mean, it, it, In the Pocket wouldn't be In the Pocket if it wasn't for Dallin. And uh, Dallin helps me organize. Um, I'm a little ADD. And Dallin was going, you got to get on point with this stuff. She's very focused and she's very organized. Uh, I tend to go, like, jump in, let's do. And she's taught me a lot. Um, so uh, I'm excited. You know, she helped me actually get... Patty spoke management, got the whole thing. So at the end of the month, we're going to record that song. And that'll finish up the 20th song. And I got, I'd like to put out a uh, vinyl was so cool these days. And I just took a photo of um, 
of uh, Amore, a Nervous Night, uh, One Way Home, and Zigzag. Um, and we made more albums after that, but I had them in my, in my, in my workroom at home, and they just had to be sitting there, and I kind of lined them up in a little artistic little view. And I love vinyl. I love how you can see it in stores these days, like you know, Urban Outfitters and things like that, and the great stores like Record Collector and the one down at Main, Main Street Music. And to me, you know, to be able to put out something that sounds real cool and you can hold on to and look at the photos brings me back to when I was a kid getting very excited. I'd go to the King. There's a store in Burlington, New Jersey called King's. I used to go there with my parents, you know, because they didn't have a lot of money and we would go buy school clothes and I would go hide in a record store and look at the <laughs> King's records and all the records. And that do you remember, so do cool. you remember the first record you ever bought with your own money? With my own money? Um, well... The first record we ever had was I Want to Hold Your Hand. It was with the Beatles. Uh, sure, sure. But uh, uh, my first record I ever bought, let me think. I'm thinking it, it had to be, um, it's weird. Um, maybe a, Stone, a Rolling Stones record. I don't remember which one. You know, like I had so you had good of, taste right away. Well, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people who argue that, but <laughs> I, 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 I was really into... Uh, a, a, a variety of, of, of bands because I remember I had a, a friend of mine who, why do you listen to that, you know? And I, I, I listened to a lot of different, like I early on I played in a band in, in Mill Creek Falls with my buddy Wayne Myers. We He played guitar. Well, I didn't know what I was going to play because I frankly, I could pick up a guitar and make a sound, but on drums I could play a beat. So you're the drummer. <laughs> because none of us can play a beat. That's the way it worked, you know. And my buddy had records, uh, James Brown at the Apollo. And, um, yeah, you know, it really, you know, looking back, it, it, you know, it, it took 100% of my brain over. Uh, I just wanted to be uh, doing that all the time. You know, I, I, just yesterday, I'm cleaning out a drawer and I came across... You know how you can collect money on the, you collect, well, I don't know if you knew this, but you can collect money on the internet that you haven't claimed. And a couple of years ago, there was some, I got this thing saying, you have some, you know, there's money, right? So, but I had to supply them with something that I lived in an area for a while and uh, I had to go get my, my graduating you know, my <laughs> diploma and my grade. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Uh, I went to Woodrow Wilson High School and it was, um, there were 449 or something students that graduated that year. I was ranked 396. Okay, but, with, how, but how many of those 395 people in front of you have toured the world and sold 2 million copies I, of a record well, yeah. and performed with all the people you've performed with? So uh, I, I think it's worked out pretty well for you. Well, I did say something to Dow. I said, you know, it's funny. Uh, we were, I, were la I was laughing about it, which is kind of a shame. I was laughing. <laughs> but I was so focused focused into um, um, making something out of music because it just, I just loved everything about it, the culture behind it, the music, the playing, even the getting better at it, being a musician didn't come first for me. It was like later on that like, how do I challenge myself? Uh, you know, I teach now and I always tell students that like, you gotta, you know, challenge yourself. And I, you know, when you're young, you want to feel like, you know, 
no one wants to feel bad about themselves, you know. And I, you know, you go to a student, you go to a teacher like Joe Casadas, who I went to when I was in my twenty years old. And Joe, you know, you needn't say I sucked, but in so many words, he said you suck, and you got to learn how to do this. And he taught me some ways that you know play things differently. So, you know, I I, I started challenging myself. I I don't know how much of I I did that as a player when I was younger. And then I would see bands like you know I'm lucky I got Richard Bush who plays with me and 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 and. Rick DeFonso, who now is down in Florida, but I would go see a band called Sin, and they had a drummer named Mike, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting Mikey's name, and this is so terrible, actually, because he's a buddy of mine, but Mikey was the drummer, and Mike, Mikey is an amazing, amazing chops, and I remember he could do this incredible double stroke run, I was like, I can't do that, like that. Like he did it. And then I went out to Joe, you know, he showed me the work he had to put involved. And then, you know, like with Joe, it was like he created something in me that I, I credit my father, too, because my father was a you know construction worker who, 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 you know, time to make the donuts. Boom, you go to work. And he told me how to hammer and do nails. And I never realized that when I was doing siding and roofing, it helped me as a player, too, because then all of a sudden I started doing rhythm with like hammering a nail into a roof. Uh, it, and then I smacked my finger one day and said, fuck this, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> but um, I, I, I went off a little bit. But, uh, you know, I'm, you know, the one thing that keeps life interesting for me is that I'm, I, I, I like to challenge myself with new things all the time, instrumentally and musically and, you know, with new things. I'm excited about Smash Palace. I'm excited about In the Pocket. I'm very excited about this last tour was my favorite tour I ever did with the Hooters. It was, uh, I, I, I was hearing things really well. I was healthy. Um, and the reason I say that is the year before I had a concussion, I didn't know that it, it messed me up like it well, did. I, I thought I was going to get fired, to be honest with you. I was they playing. can't fire you. You've been, you've been with the band Oh, they for, could fire you. <laughs> well, I, it happens, it, yeah, but I mean, yeah. that, it's not the Hooters at that point. I'm sorry. I mean, well, it, that's it, nicely it, to say. But, but, you know, Rob and Erica are the, the guys that, you I'm know, sure, really. But I mean, you've been the there. Best day of my life I ever meeting those two guys. And, you know, to this day, they, you know, they came in to see me play. And I'm so fortunate to play with such. You know, guys that like like-minded musically, they're always challenging themselves. And 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 but when we hooked up together, and I've heard Eric say this uh, that you know there was fire in the room, and we just felt like okay, now we're a band. There was just something that happened, you know. And I think band guys know that when they get the guy or get the guys together, like wow, we got something going on here, you know. You well, create some. I would love to. Yeah, we're going to get into some of the history of the Hooters and some of the juicy stories through the years. I do want to make sure. Uh, that we plug this in the pocket show coming up on September fifteenth. Yeah, you're doing a, a it's a recovery concert. Yeah. Uh, down at the uh, Gershman Building in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, sponsored by Clean and Sober Radio. Yeah, um, Gary Hendler, man. Yeah, and all the proceeds are going to benefit people in recovery and and help them you know find uh, treatment facilities or recovery houses. So it's a cool show coming up September fifteenth at yeah. the Gershman Building in the pocket. If you've never seen in the pocket, trust me. It, it is a great night. I, I've described it once in a story. It's like an all-star jam the entire night. It, yeah. It's like one long all-star jam. You yeah. Different combinations of musicians come out. Mm. The only constant, the only guy who's never left the stage for an in-the-pocket show right. is, is David, who's yeah. back there on drums. Yeah. And, it's because I'm selfish. Yeah. <laughs> well, plus your names hey. in, the, in the thing. But you, you got guys like Tommy Conwell and Richard Bush and Charlie yeah. Ingui and, mm. and Zuzu Mansoor uh, from Soraya. Yeah. They, they got a show coming up. You mentioned the record collector. They're, they're, they got a show coming up at the She's record collector. She's wonderful. I mean, all the... They're all so great. It's nice to see Zuzu doing as well. I hear all the time on on Little Steven's show, and uh, and and you know it. 
it couldn't happen to a nicer person. And, and all of them are involved with this show on the 15th. And, you know, I, I, you know, like I had my issues with drug addiction and, and, um, and it, you know, it was not easy. And, and nowadays it's, it, it's almost worse. I mean, we have opportunities for people to get better and there's places where people can go get better, but my addiction nearly killed me and I didn't even realize it. Now, you know, you, you see these stories. I just read Beth Macy's book called Dope Sick that was just like mind blowing what happens in places like West Virginia. It's like such a problem in our communities today and the younger people are getting younger and younger. I just feel so lucky that, like I have a 27 year old son that never, he, you know, he didn't go down that route and thank God because if I got me, I, I, I don't know if I'd be here today, you know? <laughs> And my, my parents were unbelievable too. So it's a tough spot. So I want to do whatever I can to uh, help raise money. Uh, uh, the the person that actually organizes the show lost a daughter, and this is all you know her passion. And uh, I want to do as great as I can for her, because and others that have lost people to this because it's a, it's a terrible epidemic that we're dealing with every day. Sure, sure. So, yeah, so if, we're, if you're hearing this before September 15th, check out the recovery concert down at the Gershman Building with In the Pocket. Yeah. So let's let's go back and yeah. let's – so your, your parents are from Finland. Right. Uh, so, but you were born here in, in, in Bucks County, Bristol Township. Yeah. Uh, Levittown. I was very lucky because uh, at first I didn't feel – you know, you're a kid. You, don't want, you just want to fit in. But, you know, my parents were Finns. Not a lot of Finns in, in Levittown, but actually in every, it seemed like in every neighborhood there was one family from Finland. You know, back in the day, <clears throat> you know, it was in, in, in that country, um, you know, they had their problems economically and to make it, make make anything of yourselves, you had to make a move like come to America. My father came over, I think it was 1952. Uh, I thought it was later than that. My sister corrected me on that, but my dad came over on a boat and came to New York and as my, my aunt, right, my aunt, I know who uh, and her husband John sponsored they had to sponsor my son my father to come over on a boat <clears throat> and he married my mom and then he came over and my mom stayed in Finland and then he got a job as a dishwasher in New York and and then somehow ended up he and he stayed at my aunt's place and you know knowing my dad <laughs> the way he was he's like I gotta get out of here he, he was never really my dad was never comfortable with his own skin until the end, till the end, it was a heart attack changed his life. But he was always on the move. He's always doing something, um, and uh, he came over and he got a job at the soap factory in Bristol. Remember that place? Sure, sure. And my dad said they used to bonus the guy. He, 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 I forget. He was making like minimum wage or maybe a little better than minimum wage. But every night, my dad could bring home soap. My father had huge hands. My dad could grab. He's always had a bonus. Uh, he, he he would be able to take more soap than a lot of the guys. So he would just grab, <laughs> if you could take you could take as much soap as you can grab. My dad used to go home with like you know thirteen bars of soap. So you had the cleanest family in Bristol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He lived with a bunch of guys, a bunch of Finns that were little, little hellraisers. I remember a guy named Yuska. I speak Finnish, so his name that's Jack in Finnish. Yuska. And Yuska and his buddies would like go party every night. And my dad was not a partier. I think like my dad was a little bit, I used to go, you're so weird. He wouldn't even drink a whole beer. You know, he remember the, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a little cop, these things you could pop on a beer and it had to, it was like a plunger on it. And my dad would never finish it. And I loved the taste of beer when I was like nine years old. I used to sneak in the fridge and I used to drink some of his beer. And he'd be like oh, one geez. day going, where's my beer going? My son's stealing it. You know, but he, he, he um, 
he got that job and then you know he was always a builder you know like in finland he joined the war when he was 13 so you know he had to be you had to learn how to do a lot of stuff his father died when he was 11 he unfortunately my grandfather died in a in a he was fishing on the ice and it went down it's, it's not pretty and um and then my father had to be like the man in the house, but he was the youngest boy. There were two, he had two, my aunt Raya and my aunt Anya. And they were, my son, my father was the youngest. So, but the Russians were coming. <laughs> they no, no shit, they were coming. And they were bombing their houses and my dad's front yard. And my dad joined the army when he was 13. So he was always like a pretty, like he became lieutenant. Like he got the, what what is the, uh, the Purple Heart of America in Finland. He had to fly back and he got that. Yeah, he, he, you know, and I got some relatives that did some crazy stuff and they're in like a couple books and, uh, well, great things, which, you know, when, uh, my name is even unusual in Finland because when I went, you know. Can they pronounce it over there? Because nobody can pronounce it over here. Yeah, well, they do. (laughs) We'll see Kinen in there. Now we Americanize it. Osikinen or whatever we, you know. Osikinen. (laughs) Osikinen. Like the the street or my buddies call me Dave, I'm sick of them. (laughs) You know, uh, so really, my dad had like this incredible work ethic. He's a good guy. He was a great guy and gave me a job when I got out of high school. And, you know, um, I I was getting to the fact that I spoke Finnish because my parents didn't speak any English. And we were, you know, like if you're like an Irish Catholic family and a Finnish family that lives next door, you're like like kind of a weirdo, I think. (laughs) You know, like, whoa, who's this group? You know, I remember my dad built me a... Uh, I, I wanted to play basketball. He was this little kid. I wanted to play basketball, and my dad built a, um, a, a hoop out front on the on the on the, on the deck of the house. But he didn't put a ba- he, like he they didn't play basketball in Finland, so he didn't put a backboard on it. He just put it on. I didn't realize uh, you know if I was smart, I would say he's just trying to make me a better ball player because you're not hitting the backboard. Sure. You got to switch. And then my I remember my my friend uh, uh, the Duns. They were they lived down the street. One of the guys was a kid. Your dad doesn't know crap about you know like. <laughs> Yeah, it's because he's from another country. You're a commie. <laughs> Shit. I mean, I swear to God, you know, when you're a kid, you hear this like, Mom, am I a commie? No, you're not a commie. You're a socialist. <laughs> no, no. So um, long story short, you know, but, you know, I always got along with everybody in the neighborhood. But it, we were a little, you know. I, Did I music really... kind of help you feel, ad- adapt? You say maybe you felt a little different because your parents didn't speak English. Or, yeah. I mean, was it was music kind of your ticket to acceptance, you think, kind of in the community? Uh, yeah, in, in some, some way, because my parents were pretty... Uh, uh, I remember at one point they were pretty disciplined, like in this, or or, or, or they disciplined us in a sense that if I buy this for you, you got to wear it. <laughs> you know, we don't have a lot of money. I'm buying. So my mom went to Finland. I remember when I was a kid, and she brought me back some clothes that were really cool. Like now they're cool, but my, she gave me these pants that look leather. Right now I'm in fourth grade. And I'm wearing like a le- like a pants that look like they were. Sh- I don't know if they were real leather, but I wear them to school. Yeah, you, know, you got dudes like you know the Brodskys and my buddies that I like went to school were like, dude, what do you you know? We're- yeah, it's, I don't know if it's like the ep- I don't know if you ever watched Freaks and Geeks. It, yeah. it was like an episode of that, or, the, or where they wear the kid wears something. Yeah. and everybody's looking at you. Yeah, I was just like-, like, what? And mom's my mom's like, oh, they look so nice. And I'm going, I feel like a you know like yeah. a fool, you know. But I um. But later on, it, I, yeah, I guess you're, the music thing, because in fourth or fifth grade, I started playing, uh, uh, we, were, we, I had a, we put a band together. We didn't know that you didn't, you, we put a band together. And we were really pretty, 
Um, we put, played a concert in my school, um, Abraham Lincoln. It's not there anymore. And I went with a, a snare drum and a, and a cymbal. And my buddy Wayne brought a, um, a guitar that he could plug in. He had Dan Electro guitar, Dan Electro amp, and he got a Fender Mustang guitar. And we played a concert for my, for my class. Maybe they brought some other people in. <laughs> I sang. I sang a song called Mary Had a Little Lamb. Now, at the time, later on, I'm going, I can't believe I did that. But, you know, now Buddy Guy has a song called Mary Had a Little Lamb. It's great. But I was really embarrassed, and I wanted to sing. Somebody had to. Nobody else wanted to. So did you play drums and sing at I, the same time? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, on that one I did, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it was an instant, immediately. Is there a recording of this floating around somewhere? Man, don't you wish? I mean, I really do. <laughs> uh, um, I don't even have a photo. Um, but there are, um, there are accounts of it from friends of mine. And they always thought we could, because we played, we took a risk, man. We played Wipeout. And, you know, a drummer playing, you know. You know, right, you know, who was doing that? I could play that. I couldn't do a double stroke roll, but I could do that. And, um, you know, uh, we were instant cool, you know. And there were, like, at the time, um, a lot of, there were bands popping up in the neighborhood. And uh, um, and it was it was my ticket to, I don't know, cool, but, you know, he plays in a band, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I remember I got a... Uh, you know, I got a girlfriend when I was in sixth grade. I think it had something to do with me playing and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff because I never thought she'd be interested. <laughs> so. well, we could devote a whole show to this guy, and unfortunately we don't have time to do that, but maybe your ticket to cool was meeting John Kuzma. Yeah, man. Well, we, you know, we'll talk about John a lot. John was... Uh, um, <laughs> talking about records and listening to stuff. He, 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 John was a super cool guy. I remember I was listening to a Kansas record, and he gave me like, "What are you listening to that for?" <laughs> he didn't do that a lot, but you know, he, John was very instrumental in you know, like turning me on to a lot of great music. He was a, a very unique person, uh, incredibly talented, gifted uh, um, artist, writer. Um, thinker um, just you know I never ever met anybody like him since um, I met him let me just say, real, interrupt for one second. Yeah. For our listeners who don't know, John Kuzma, also a Bristol Township native, went to yeah. your high school, was, I guess, four years older than you? Yeah, five year, he was five years five, older than me. Right, and he yeah. was also ended up being in the original Hooters lineup yeah. and uh, passed away, I guess, about four or five years ago, maybe a little longer now. But 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 I know you guys became just... We lived together. We, uh, we lived in the cow barn when I was telling you about that. Yeah. I mean, John and I, I got... I mean, before I we even played in the Hooters, we had a whole lifetime history of stuff going on and crazy shit too. I mean, unbelievable. He was so he was a lot of fun. He was so daring. He was so uh, he would do it. He would do anything. Um, he, he 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 was just really something. And the very first time I ever saw John was at um, Bishop Conwell was a girls' Catholic school. Um, they all wore uniforms. They had a marathon, a 24-hour marathon. And um, my mom let me go. And they drop you off at 7 o'clock, and they pick you up the next day at, like, 6 in the morning or something like that. And, I, you know, it was, like, all bands. It was bands that were playing. Billy Goodman played. My friend Billy Goodman from Levittown. He had a band, and I remember Steve Burke played. And there were all these guys that, like, I don't think Danny DeGenero played, but... There was this weird guy that never left the hallway that was sitting there playing a 
Gibson Les Paul with long hair, and he had he sat the way he always sat, where his legs crossed like a he, he had this Indian style way of sitting, and he was playing his guitar, and never left the spot until four in the morning when he got up to play on stage with uh, Joe Lanzi's brother Gino and I don't think Randy Pomacat. These are all guys that like grew up like I grew up like idolizing and excuse me and John John was over there in the corner and he was playing his guitar and and uh, I, I, I was like, I, I'd come back like two hours later and he wouldn't move. And he, all he did, and he was playing, you know, he figured out why you got to play and practice. And he created his own thing. Um, and then he, a few years later, I was in high school and I walked into the gym. I was a gymnast. Um, it, it, I never realized that it ran in my blood. I had an uncle that was like in the Olympics and won gold medals and everything. So all that stuff came pretty easy to me. I never really worked out. I could stand on my hands and do a flip. And I walk in and there's a guy on the rings in a leather jacket. He might even had a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and he was doing an iron cross. And I'm going, look at this guy. It's And it was John. And he I even think, I think he had shoes on too. And he's like doing an iron cross like... <laughs> This is nothing, right? And then Fred Lewis, the coach of the team, comes, well, get the, and he was, get the fuck off. They're like, screaming, like, we're all high school kids. Nobody talked like that, <laughs> unless we were out of school. Screams at him to get off the, get off the uh, things, and John and his cool self kind of falls off the thing, because oh, I gotta get out of here. But even the way he struts out, um, there was never a jive thing about John. It was all so real. And he's like, hey man, I just thought I'd come work out. And then, you know, uh, he, then his legend with me led, you know, because he had a band called Mary Rice with Steve Shive and Randy Pomacats, Louis Portchainer, and they were legendary in Levittown. I don't even think I ever really, I think I saw them once, and uh, they did uh, uh, Ziggy Stardust, Bowie stuff, and John was, oh, uh, he was just phenomenal. And I remember, man, if I could ever play in a band with that guy. And then we ended up practicing in the same place next to the cow barn which was next to the club capri and i was too young to get into the club capri but i was getting into the anchorage so i john and i met but i was always in awe of this guy because you know he had the reputation and when he played on stage people just went up to the stage he looked cool and he could play and um then we practiced in the same place and i forget how it happened but i think we were both minus a band and he said you want to put a band together I was like, yeah, where do I sign up? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, the rest was history. We had a lot of bands together. We had, uh, I think John and I, we, early, there was a band called Stockyard, which I was on an early version of that band with Steve Solitus, which played like Belmont Plateau and places like that. And I, I played with him and John joined that band as well. And we, turned into something else you know band names just go through and, and what it's you know where it goes who knows and then john and i had a band called hot property with rob paletti and heidi lindner and danny d'souza um a, a very he makes documentary films in la great musician great um great guy um and you know that all led to actually there were torpedoes before that torpedoes with the with legend danny, danny de legendary, legendary danny DeGenero, yeah sure. they got a statue of him a bucks, bucks yeah, yeah no, they got a scholarship named after him yeah that, that's a great thing that eddie and those guys do because um danny you know like me had lots of troubles uh, but he was an artist true and true and he loved to play and entertain and like like John playing with Danny, and I played in a band with both of them, you know, and um, 
I had incredible experience. Danny was the one who actually got me into RCA students, studios with John Mulhern and, and, and Ray Hall in the beginning to play in a studio in New York. Uh, it opened up incredible doors for me. When did you and John and Bobby Woods first play together? We were practicing. Um, I remember we had a rehearsal place off of Mechanicsville Road, and we were practicing there. Uh, it was... Um, um, how did I meet Bobby? I met Bobby through Steve, South, Steve uh, Rob Saltzman, a guitar player, great guitar player from Vancouver Rock Island Line, a guy named Mike Kennedy, Northeast Philly guys. And Bobby was, there was a band that, Leonard Toes, the guy that owned the sure. Eagles, had a nephew that had some money and he funded this great band, but they never played any gigs. And it was... Um, it was um, this guy, Mike Kennedy, Rob Saltzman, and Bobby Woods. And they heard about us somehow. And that's all I'm figuring. And they came over to our practice one day. And Bobby Woods came with Saltzman. And we all just jammed. The, 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 the sax player that came was end up being in Los Lobos. Um, it was like a real, like, and all the guys, I, I, Mike Kennedy, who is no longer uh, with us anymore, um, just got back from England and he was playing with some of the guys from Traffic. So he was like, he walked in the room and I remember we knew that. So it was like, oh man, he's like a real guy, (laughs) you know? And he didn't play. He wouldn't, I don't know if he didn't think we were good enough, but he sat down and he didn't play. But Bobby got up and played. And when Bob and I played together, it was like, oh my God, this guy's a great bass player. Everything felt easy and uh, powerful. And uh, that's how we started. And, 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 And when you find, it's like love. With a woman, and when a musician finds the musician that they connect with, it's like, where are you going? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> and that was uh, Dave and John and Bobby Woods. That's yeah. the original rhythm section of the Hooters. Mm. So how did the three of you guys come to Eric and Rob's attention? How did they find you guys? Or did you uh, find them? N- no, I, I think I, you know, um, interestingly enough, there were some records being made back then. Danny D'Souza sent in a, a cassette of Hot Property to WMMR, in 1977 or 8 and it was a um it was a contest they had called the breakout contest and they were going to pick 10 bands from the delaware valley that they're going to make a record and we're going to do a concert at the irvine auditorium we're going to pick one of the bands from those 10 to make a uh to get a record deal with electra and so that was another spot where we met a lot of other great musicians from philly we end up to my surprise invited to be one of the top 10 bands and with that one day danny said we got a session over at star studios the society hill still studios at the time and the engineer was ob o'brien and ob o'brien was one of the engineers there uh and i think who larry gold produced it obo player amazing string player arranger uh, a lot of great work over the years and lynn kratz the, from wmr sure. was the was the actual executive producer producer of that and david and danny strobin who were in sweet Steve and chain they owned that studio so we went in there and we cut we didn't know anything about recording at the time but i listen to that record now and i'm going i still want to get that tom sound it was sounded so good and we um <clears throat> to this day i was just listening on the bus in europe when i was riding around and that sounds really good but it was rob I, it, we went to star studios which is in society hill in philly and we recorded song i think we did a couple takes and that got on the record, and um, we we ended up uh, doing some shows. And Eric at the time was just in the middle of Baby Grand, 
I was just in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to walk by Manny's, what used to be Manny's, and all those music stores. And I reminded my wife, Dallin, of uh, of um, seeing Rob and Eric one day out front of the Manny's. I didn't know them, but I knew who they were. And I went, "Wow, that's Eric Brazilian, Rob Hyman." <laughs> Whoa, you know. And they were walking. They were they were shopping around for their session that they were doing for Baby Grant. They made a great record with Rick Murata playing drums and Neil Jason. I think, I think Neil Jason played bass and I th- Rick produced that. Still, um, Never Enough is my favorite version from that. Um, that was a f- really great band, but it didn't really work out. I didn't, didn't sell a lot. I don't think it sold a lot of records and eventually they ended up not happening. Um, uh, we Eric brought Rob out to see Hot Property play. And I think the next day or that night, they asked me if I wanted to do a recording session with them. Um, they said, Rob said, Eric said, there's this drummer playing these Gretsch drums that look like he's 14. <laughs> it was me. And um, and then we, we, we recorded, Eric had a, a possibility to be in that movie. I forget the name of the movie, but we recorded um, an, an animal song. Please don't let me be misunderstood. We recorded... Um, um, four songs and we submitted them and um, I p- brought my drums in I recorded I packed them up and I left I don't think we even really talked very much you know we just recorded the songs I thought wow man I, I was I don't know if I was nervous but I was just in awe of these guys I never heard a guitar tone like that Eric had like, like wow man and I play with great guitar players sure. he just was so smart and so good and Rob as well and we recorded to a half track machine and then they asked me if I wanted to come back. And, um, oh, this is an important thing. We were playing at um, uh, Vernon's in Levittown. Sure. And uh, we needed a... We, uh, uh, the, who was it? The guitar player? Somebody. I think somebody couldn't do the gig for some reason. And I asked Eric, hey, you know, this is a long shot. You want to come sub? Play good? Yeah, I'll do it. He came and he played with us. And he had a ball. And then he asked me to record with, he was working with a band called the Rangos, and I recorded what was hanging on a heartbeat with them, because Glenn co-wrote that too, and I, Glenn Goss, and I went and played um, uh, at their studio, and at that time, they said they were thinking about uh, putting a band together, and Rob already, uh, Eric already played with John and Bobby, and we all decided to get together. I don't know who asked who. I think they were obviously they're the leaders, and Rob has always got that. He's our leader. <laughs> Rob is the Rob the go Hooters goes as Rob goes, Rob, vice versa. And Rob probably said, "Hey, let's bring him in." And we played, and we were right away. We felt that reggae ska thing it was starting to happen. Not a lot of bands doing that back then, right? I mean, we 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 really it was like a, a fish in water. We just felt great doing it. I think one of the first rehearsals we might have played all you zombies. You know, all you zombies, and we did. Which uh, didn't you tell me you didn't think would would amount to anything? <laughs> didn't you say eh, a song with all those biblical characters? Why, why, why are we doing this song? Right? Yeah, exactly, Andy. I mean, I was, um, I I just didn't get it, you know. And but I thought, oh, that's a pretty cool beat, you know. Yeah. It was faster, and it was it was cool. And I, as a matter of fact, when we used to do Vernon's, I used to t- tell Rob would make the sets up, and I'd say. Put that one early so we get it over with, you know. Who no one likes it, and then up, you know, becoming what it what it is, and it was, that's why I tell anybody. That's basically say, the song that broke you on MMR. I mean, I mean, a- a- MMR, Matt, Man in Street was the first thing that they played, but All You Zombies really broke us on MMR, and it was such a great song that it it really broke us. 
throughout the United States. Right. Redbeard and Dallas started playing it like you know when that record came out on the on the on the um, Nervous Night version, right. and it broke us up. Broke us. I mean, it broke us in. Broke us. It broke us. And, and a lot of stations people used him as a tastemaker and check out what he's adding because it was a whole different way of adding songs to radio formats back in the day. And um, but Boy You Zombies WMMR. Michael Tearson uh, was playing us early on his show, the Gorilla Theater, I think that was the name of it. And he, you know, it, a lot to do with the success of the Hooters early on. And then we played all the time. We played every Monday at Grendel's Lair for, we did a residency. Right, and the crowds were lining up to get in. I mean, it was, uh, hey, I got it. I mean, I know you've, you've talked about this a million times, but there's still probably, no matter how many years the Hooters are together, you're always going to encounter a fan for the first time who will say, what the hell's up with that name? Yeah. And I know you told the story yeah. of, of your reaction. Oh. I think it was Eric who told you that. that yeah. Was- we were going over to Ricky's. We were rehearsing. We had a practice place there on Mumbria Street in Maniunk. And I was walking over to Ricky's to get a cheesesteak with Eric. And then we come back and say, hey, we got a name of the, you know, if you know Eric, he's like, hey, we got a name of the band. And I'm going, I was like, oh, cool. What is it? He goes, the Hooters. And I went, What? <laughs> What? And, you know, I remember thinking, oh, man. And I didn't know well enough to say, are you fucking crazy? And he said, um, yeah, I think I said, like, oh, okay. I'm thinking to myself, I can't tell my friends I'm playing with Eric Bazilian and, and Rob Hyman. And we call it the Hooters. Now, this is before the restaurants. Right. Um, but I thought, that's kind of goofy. Um, but then, you know, we had such a, you know, uh, we were, Rob managed a band with his girlfriend at the time. And, um, they had real. She was involved with a place called Plastic Fantastic. That was a cool record store, Remember and that. she was cool, and the store was cool. And she had in stores, and she had like Todd and Elvis Costello, and she liked it. I'm going, well, she likes it. Must be good. And then we did these cool little back then. A lot of stickers on poles and and uh, anywhere you can put them in the city. And we started putting H O O. Oh, I don't forget how they did, but we split up the promotion. Like we'd cut the name in half and put one week. It would say, you know, H O or who is the, you know, it was something like that against the walls. It, it did look, it looked great in print, yeah. and you know, you don't forget it, right? And but it was weird, and you know, like I hear Cindy Lauper says, <laughs> the band with the unfortunate name. <laughs> I love that, you know, it's the band with the unfortunate name because even today, I mean, young millennials are like the Hooters. What is that? But, you know, that's not really our audience these days. But we'd like to try, you know, to be as relative as possible with, you know, um, relevant as possible with our music, you know. So, in funny, in Europe, you know, there's more younger people to come to see us. Because we don't really play a lot in the U.S. anymore these days. I mean, we have some shows coming up to Keswick and we're doing Epcot Theater. And we do uh, select shows from here and there. But Europe is where we play mostly. And it's, the audience seems to be getting younger, which is blowing my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, rock and roll, it's, it's t- the, the kind of music you guys make, t- to me, it's timeless. I mean, it's as fun now as it, was, as, as it was back in the yeah. 80s. Hey, we got so much more I'd love to talk about. Um, so the first incarnation of the Hooters, it basically peaked, I guess, around 1982 or so when you yeah. guys opened for... The Who for the Who and and, mm. and uh, that was where that was at uh, JFK. Or? Yeah, it was a that was super exciting. We we opened for you know the Who. I mean live you know live at Leeds. That was a record that didn't leave my my player for a long you time. You and me both, my friend. 
What a record, Keith Moon. I mean, what a band. And, you know, here we are. We, we were asked to open for him through Larry Maggot. Larry Maggot really helped us a great deal as well. Um, we we were, you know, the band was basically self-managed, you know, Rob. And uh, we had a record company called uh, Antenna Records. We did put out 45s. And then um, what happened was we were asked to do the show. And it was The Clash and Santana and The Who. We not we we had a gig. We opened the show and we we left. We didn't even stay to see the Who. We had a gig in Richmond, Virginia, which was a hot spot for the Hooters. Richmond, Virginia. We would play with a band called the Good Guys that were really cool. They did ska and like kind of more more like Toots and the Mentels kind of stuff. And we were really did a lot of great shows together. But we left, and I remember sitting in the van. Uh, in the back of the van, laying there, watching Kenny Jones walk on the stage, going, see ya, you know, I'm not going to watch this. But I got to watch The Clash, and I got to hang out with them backstage, and Mick Jagger was there. I met Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger came back to have a beer with us and, and talk, and he was with his daughter, Jade, and um, man, I was like, I felt like I arrived. Uh, I had a lot of moments like that growing up where like you feel like you're okay I'm there and then, right yeah, but yeah. but then it kind of it, it, it stopped then for a while after it, that, it, Rob it, and Eric put the band on on hiatus when they right. went off they were they were doing the stuff with Cindy and yeah and, uh, uh, yeah and I did the youth camp thing but it was never like I would have kept on doing the Hooters but the Hooters uh, you know I guess um, you know like I'm not really privy to what really happened on that but I know that you know Rob and Eric decided that you know what we hit a crossroads and you know we were running like in fairness John was out to do his own thing you know he he never came like I want to do my own thing but he was in his own right a, a solo artist he was great in the Hooters he made the Hooters really really good but he was going to go out and do his own thing and I think Rob and Eric knew it and, and I think they knew that, that we were just never going to get any further than we were with with what we had going on then and it was a great creative and a business decision you know and they went on to do Cindy Lauper and I remember meeting Cindy at the time and um they did this record I was you didn't have anything to do with that first record other than meeting her and like her being influenced I guess she was doing I forget the name of the band they were like a rockabilly band and she went more into like a ska thing you know more of like what we were doing and I know they used a lot of the, the Roger Lynn machine and, and uh, Anton played a lot of the snare stuff because Rick was using him a lot. There's a good story at some point I'll tell you about, you know, me doing the Hooters record because there was some paranoid paranoia I had that I wouldn't do the record, you know, because of the way Rick worked at that time. Um, but, uh, the, you know, they did that Cindy Lauper record and I thought I was done with those guys. And then, you know, I was doing youth camp playing with Joey Wilson and, um, and and um, Rob Miller and um, John Kuzma and we played like Ripley's and I remember Eric you know he, I think he missed us you know he missed missed me and missed uh, who was and John and he came over to see us he invite we invited him to play we played a, a gig and we were with Joey and he had a great he was great it was a great it's recorded somewhere it's a really good show and when they finished Cindy's record I got, I was I remember laying on the couch in Milk Creek Falls watching TV with my mom. I was depressed, man. I was like going, oh, man, what am I going to do? I was 22 or something like that, and my life is over at 22. And Eric calls me up, and he said, uh, you want to, you want to, we're going to put, we're going to put in a band together again, like that. You know, Eric was like, was like, and we want you to play drums, and we're going to do this, but he informed me, he goes, but we're not going to ask John and Bobby to join. And I remember going, oh, 
Yeah, because those guys were your brothers. I mean, well, I lived with John. John was my really my. I didn't have a big brother. He was my big brother, right. and I felt terrible, man. I remember feeling terrible, but at the same time, I'm going, yeah. But he didn't feel terrible when he joined the Shakes because he joined another band, and I was pissed. And like, they had a great drummer, Anton Cooper, great, great drummer in the Shakes. So they, you know, him and Bobby went on, and I was like, oh, man, what am I gonna do? So I wasn't doing anything. And Eric asked me, you know, we want you to be the drummer. So uh, that's when we reformed. We reformed, but he asked me, because would you invite Rob Miller? We'd like to ask Rob Miller. And I said, well, or I gave him his number and he called him. And that was it. It was going to be the four of us playing, you know, initially. And our very first show was shut down at Millersville. Uh, you know, John came along. John was in uh, John Lilly. John Lilly, who became John, the, the John, yeah. guitarist in the band, sure. <laughs> yeah, so he came along at that period, too. So, so we, should, we say shut down because there were too many people? Or? No, it could shut down because... We were too loud. <laughs> I think we were too loud. Yeah, it was something. And where like was that. this? Where? Millersville College. Okay. And there's pictures of that. And My, that was the first show with the new lineup. Yeah. That was the first show with, with John and, and Rob. And we got like, that's when we, they really got into, you know, it was 1983. So, you know, we started, MTV was, didn't quite happen yet, right? It was like. Right. Well, I think MTV found you guys when Nervous Night came out. Which exactly. Was, which was the uh, spring of 85. Right. So there were some decisions made that I never really, like, we always wanted, yeah, what are you wearing tonight? Blah, blah, blah. But we never got consciously, consciously into, um, like, you know, Duran Duran was happy. We saw Duran Duran at the East Club, Eastside Club, and my buddy was in Executive Slacks, and we'd see these bands, and they had this kind of weird style in the 80s. And then, you know, we made a conscious decision to kind of get into, like, a Dixie's Midnight Runners kind of look. Right. We didn't realize that the look, and at the time, we didn't, you know, I don't know, you know, it, you look back, I mean, there were periods, of, I don't even want to see that picture. I don't even want to look what, at what, that. What, what bothers you the most? The hair? The, the outfits? The, the hair doesn't bother me that much anymore. Um, I, I, I guess it, the outfits make me laugh because, it, look, one time we had a stylist that, uh, she, she's great, she's great, she's a friend of mine to this day. She put a, um, she put a rubber shirt on me. That I wore playing. Now, what the hell's a rubber shirt? A rub it, it was made out of rubber. It was like a, a uh, what you, short shirt with the arms cut out, and you know, it was like a muscle shirt, but it was made out of rubber. That sounds made horrible. Of, it was. It, oh, try playing in it. <laughs> that sounds. I put the thing. This was on supposed and, to be visually appealing. Yeah, and it, you know, I'm like, and I was. I remember after I played in it once, and I had all this black on me afterwards. I couldn't get it off my skin. <laughs> oh, God. It probably, you know, I don't know what kind of toxins I got into me after that, but I remember wearing that at the Ambler Cafe. But we were getting into kind of, you know, clothing, and then I don't know, maybe it was her idea, Barbara's idea, or somebody's idea that put us in colors, right. you know. And uh, now, did you guys have a choice? Did you choose the yellow? I, I went. Yeah. See, here's the thing, man. People go, "Why yellow?" I said, "Well." I love Tony Williams. Uh, Tony was one of my favorite drummers of all time. I had a yellow car, a Volkswagen. I had a buddy of mine I saw dressed in yellow once. I said, that looks cool. Um, I'm nuts. And I, and I, so I said, you can put me in yellow. But I wore yellow and black. So I'd always wear a black shirt and have some yellow. And that was me. <clears throat> Eric went with the wise black. <laughs> well, Eric and Rob, the band leaders, the black and white. I Eric, mean, that... Rob was in white, and Andy at the time. I guess Rob. Well, it, the color thing happened after the whole thing happened with Rob Miller, which is That's unfortunate. A whole, story, a whole yeah. other story, and we, we won't go into that right now. But great musician, amazing. And then Andy King was wearing blue, and John was red. Right. John hates red. <laughs> to this day, so, he hates so, red. <laughs> he, he's red. 
Well, I mean, well, I mean, we got. Unfortunately, we're getting we're getting short on. Time I know, here, and I can talk all freaking day about well, everything. Well, what I what I definitely want to talk about is that. Okay, so you get the band back together. Mm-hmm. You have this EP Amore, which just goes huge in Philadelphia. I mean, I sold what a hundred thousand copies, yeah. like an independent EP. Yeah. And then that leads to the record contract with Columbia, and and, yeah. and Nervous Night comes out and goes double platinum. Yeah. So you know, a few years later, and unfortunately, we don't have time to get into all the details. But you guys are opening Live Aid. Mm-hmm. You're 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 touring the country. You're all over. MTV, All You Zombies is a hit, and we dance day by day, which actually, a trivia question, day by day is actually the Ho- the Hooters' biggest hit on number the Billboard six, pop chart. Right? Number six. 18 on, oh, the, on, okay. the, on the pop chart. It was, yeah. it was number three on the mainstream yeah. rock, but, but as far as pop. And it, that it in itself is amazing because the way they used to report, if they reported the way they do today, it would have been in, in the top 10 easily. But back then, it was like, you know, either you called in or it was just a different kind of thing. Now everything's digital, happens very quickly. But that was a massive hit in California, all places, man. It was unbelievable. So anyway, so you guys got all these hits, you're selling all these records, you're, you're playing all these shows, you're playing MTV's New Year's Eve party. Yeah, four. You know, five years earlier, you're playing bars in Levittown. Yeah, you're still in your mid twenties. Right. Were you able to handle the the, the success? You know, the, the success that came it wasn't quite overnight, no. but it was it was pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the band didn't even exist two years earlier because Rob and Eric had temporarily broken it up. So, how do you remember? You know, mm. coping with that sudden success and, mm. and and the trappings that 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 fall upon young mm. successful rock stars. I mean, did you get caught up in that a little bit? I, I, of course, I got caught up into it. And you know, the funny thing is, I, I could say, "Oh, I got into drugs." Then I didn't. I, I mean, that was a part of my thing before I. You know, it was just drugs and don't. It's just what I did. However. M- what happened was that I needed an ad- an attitude adjustment, man. Like, you know, you start thinking that you, you take it all for granted. I did. I mean, I literally did. I like to think that I was always, I, I, I hope I wasn't an asshole. You know, I really didn't want to be an asshole to people because I, I love people. I do. I mean, it's just the way, you know, I always felt like, you know, why not? Why It, it doesn't, it, it, it's not hard to be nice. <laughs> you know, it's not. That's why I'm amazed at our world some days, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but. The trappings, I guess, you know, was like uh, as far as, you know, drugs. My biggest challenge was like, how do I how do I get myself to a place mentally where I can enjoy some of these things that are going on? Didn't you You tell me once that you don't think you fully appreciated Live Aid at the time because you were. Yeah, I probably I probably did. Didn't didn't really had that same attitude. Like I didn't understand how big it was. And 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 I'll tell you what I did. I remember I was with Tama at the time. I got an endorsement pretty early and I was I I got into this thing where like that does that's I don't want to be like taking your brand with me like Tam and Tommy Cato put all these great things all over the Tama drums. I started ripping them off. He walked in, he saw me, he goes, what are you doing? And then I caught myself going, what am I doing? Like, uh, what am I doing, you know? And then fortunately, I I got a, I, I think I might have said, I'm sorry, Tommy, I just didn't want the brands all over my drums. Said, this brand, they gave me drums. <laughs> you know, I was being a jerk off like that. And I got to my Zildjian deal, who I'm still with back then. Um, guy said, you know, you're playing Pisces symbols and you got Zildjian. He goes, you want to deal with Zildjian? I said, of course I do. And, you know, from that day on, I've been with him for almost 30 years. It happened because of Live Aid. You know, I mean, we, we were played in Australia. We were, you know, just the m- most amazing things that could happen for a musician happen because of a couple of shows, you know. And we, we were good at those shows. We didn't think we were good at Live Aid. But when we hear it now, we put it up on YouTube. Anybody that's listening, go to YouTube and pull up, like, the Hooters at Live Aid. 
Bob Clear Mountain Man mixed the shit out of that that day, you know. Hey, when did you? So you said you kind of fell into this, you know, kind of rock star mentality a little bit. When were you able to kind of pull yourself back? And- <laughs> Treatment. I, I mean, look, I was addicted to drugs, and when I got off a tour, I I, I had to do something about it. It wasn't like one day I went, "Oh, I'm going to do it." A couple of guys said, "Dude, you got to get it together. If you don't, you're going to one, you're going to die. Two, you're going to have uh, you're, you're not going to have a gig." And that was the band, you know, that said, "You got you got to straighten up." So I went away for three months. And what year was this? 1986. So it was right in the heart of... Oh, oh was, everybody's going on... They're going on... Listen, man. They were going to Puerto Rico... Oh, not Puerto Rico. Hawaii, Bermuda, uh, you know, the Netherlands. I'm going to Delaware City, Delaware. You know what I mean? It's on a holiday for three months. But it saved my life. I didn't go to... I went to a pretty, like, you know, uh, lowbrow treatment center but it saved my ass because i had guys that didn't give a shit about what i did grace slick called me up when i was in there because he was a friend of, she's a friend of billy goodman's and she said just go to the steel workers union when you get out one of the greatest things for me was just being called out on like you know you know who do you think you are you know and i'm going well then you have to find out who you are and then try to you know be a service as much as possible to people you know and, then, and for me that's always worked out yeah. Well, that that brings us back around. We'll mention, in case you missed it earlier, that In the Pocket is doing the 2018 Recovery Concert, yeah. uh, September 15th at the Gershman Building in Philadelphia. It's a benefit for uh, for uh, Clean and Sober Radio, and it'll help people get uh, treatment and, and recovery. And uh, you know, hopefully, you'll get a good crowd that night, raise a lot of money. Yeah, and, I heard uh, that it, they. I heard that there's some tickets being sold. I just heard it the other day because I don't know who Dallin was talking to him, but. Um you know, I mean, like when you have shows like that, you know, bands, you customarily have guests and stuff like that. But it's a fundraiser. So we're like, you know, you got to buy a ticket to go and, you know, we don't have guests and that's the way it works, you know. And I thought, well, you want to have some people in there? He said, oh, we're doing okay. So it led me to believe they must be doing all right. Yeah, well, I think tickets are 60 bucks, which is a little steep, but it's for a great cause. And I'm telling you, if you've never seen In the Pocket, they are they are absolutely worth it so you you mentioned earlier that you were you were hoping that you never became an asshole i can't imagine you uh, ever becoming an asshole because you. in all my years i've been writing about music for a long time and and in all my years of writing about music david is is right up near the top as far as the the, the nicest uh, most humble uh, professional musicians i've ever talked to and actually and i've told this story to, to friends of mine david is the first professional musician <laughs> i ever interviewed it's a good story he played my <laughs> high school back in 19 19- he played cherry hill west shout yeah. out to the lions yeah. cherry hill west 1983 the hooters were playing in high school and i got i was on the student newspaper and and i got to interview david pierre robert from mmr was there and i had this great probably as long as we've talked to talked just now like an hour-long conversation with you it was like the first big story i ever wrote i was really excited about it and then the editor <laughs> at the time claims he lost the story and so it never made it into print and i only had one copy and this is before computers so i wrote it out longhand he probably just didn't want to be bothered right. editing my like 20 page story yeah but it was it was a lot of the stuff we talked about uh today well this has been great. Uh, this is uh, David Wasikinen's In the Pocket. We're going to be doing this every week from Wildfire Radio here yeah. near, near Deptford, New Jersey. Thank and you, Marcus. Thank you, Marcus. And and hopefully in the weeks ahead, we're going to have lots of guests. special guests, yeah. some people you know, some people you might not know, but uh, we're going to be talking a lot of Philly music. We'll talk some more Eagles. Go, yeah. go Birds. Go Birds tonight. Go birds I'm tonight. going. I'm going to the game. Yeah, by the time E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles. By the time you hear this, hopefully the Eagles are 1-0. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but uh, so, uh, yeah, I think before we... Uh, sign off just you want to well just give us a chance you know listen to the show and uh the podcast it's not a show it's a podcast and uh 
you know, listen, because I like anything else, like even a band or making music, it takes a while to get going. And, I, you know, the guests are going to be fun having people on to just hang out and, and chat, you know, and, uh, you know, give us a shot. Yeah. And hang if, you, if you listen to us, please share it with your friends. Uh, the, the more the more listens, the better. Yeah. So uh, so uh, again, for uh, for from Wildfire Radio for uh, David Wasikinen, I am Andy Weinberg. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll uh, we'll see you next week. See you later. 